I'm going to confess, I'm, I'm, I'm a very much a creature of habit. <clears throat> and today, for whatever reason, uh, this divider that's normally closed blocking off this back section is open, so my sight lines are all off. So if I seem a little weird, it's because I'm a little weird, but my excuse today is that my, my line of sight is a little bit off, um, which does remind me, I love being in this room. It's a beautiful space. It sounds beautiful, but I feel like we are so spread out. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be trying some creative things to kind of um, g- figure out a way that we can do worship much more connected and much more together. So come along for the journey with us. We're going to try some new things, and uh, hopefully we can find a way to worship where we, it really feels like one body coming together, just to give you a bit of a heads up. Now back to your regu- regularly scheduled sermon. My task today is probably the most difficult task I've ever had in a sermon. I've preached convincing sermons on the resurrection, the virgin birth, how we ought to understand unjust suffering, and how to reconcile science and faith, yet today I take on the most demanding, the most counterintuitive claim of faith I've ever made. Today it is my job to convince you that financial contentment and satisfaction can come through giving your money away. We're in the last week of our sermon series called Why Church? The goal of this series has been to talk about why we do the things we do in church. What happens to us when we worship and pray? Why is it important for you to worship and pray or even to be part of a church? Today we finish this series by looking at financial giving. Why do we ask you to give away a portion of your income? Now there are practical reasons that we do this. And usually get these from churches around this time. We need to pay rent for the facility. We need to pay our pastors and staff salary. We need money to do different ministries and programs. Sometimes you'll get inspirational reasons that talk about how your financial gifts change lives and help spread God's message of hope and salvation. But like we have done for most of this series... Today, I want to focus on what happens to you when you give money to the church, because this is something we rarely talk about, perhaps because it's a harder sell. And who knows, maybe at the end of this sermon, I'll understand why we rarely talk about this aspect of giving. But I believe, I'm convinced, that there is is real wisdom and practical benefits from giving your money away to church or from tithing. There are two fundamental problems that I want to address in this sermon. The first problem is that the church has failed to address a fundamental question about giving, namely, why should we give? Why do we give to the church? For years, giving was seen as a duty, an obligation, something you did as a good member of the church, or as the person in the video described it, You give a certain portion of out of the way to get God off your back so then you can do what you want with the rest. Now, the the obligation, the duty part of it is good in and of itself, but it made the church forget the question of why we should give in the first place. So we have fallen back on answers such as keeping the lights on, to keep the church going, and sometimes to change lives. 
But all that does is put the church in competition with all the other good organizations out there for the, that are in competition for a diminishing pool of your disposable income. It does nothing to address the fundamental question of why you should give. To answer that question, I want to turn to two short passages of Scripture from very early on in the Bible. They center around a man named Abram, later called Abraham. He is the start of the big story of salvation that God tells in Scripture. He was called by God to leave his home country and begin a new nation, which will become the nation of Israel, whose story is told in the Old Testament and who gives birth to Jesus Christ, by whom we are saved. But way back in the beginning, this is how Abram got started. Also, rewind, because that sentence was confusing. Abram does not give birth to Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel gives birth to Jesus Christ. Any of you tracking that being like, wait wait a second, Abram, Jesus? There's like half a Bible in there. Yes. But this is Genesis. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on on earth will be blessed through you. At the very beginning, God promises to bless Abram, but God doesn't stop speaking there. God says that God will bless Abram so that Abram can be a blessing to others. Abram internalized the connection between God's blessing so that Abram could bless others. He got it. He understood it. And we know this because two chapters later in Genesis, we get this short episode. After Abram returned from defeating Keterlaumer, that is absolutely how you pronounce that name, And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Abram is granted a big victory. God blesses Abram. And then Abram comes into contact with a priest of God, and Abram gives the priest of God a tenth of all he has. And this is precisely the answer as to why we ought to give money to the church. Giving is our response to God's blessing in our lives. God blessed Abram so that he could be a blessing, and Abram blessed Melchizedek by giving him a tenth of what he had. God continues to bless people. God has blessed us. But God continues to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. We give to the church as a response to how God has blessed us. Now, I said this morning there were two problems that I wanted to address. The first was that the church had stopped asking the fundamental question of why do we give. The second problem I want to address this morning is, I think, directly related to the first. You see, we give because we are blessed by God. God gives us so many good gifts out of God's abundance. 
our response to the abundance and generosity of God in our lives is in turn to be generous and to give. But we stopped talking about that as a church, which leads us to our second problem. I believe that we have stopped being able to see the blessing of God in our lives. I once heard a statistic that an overwhelming majority of American people, and just so we're clear, I'm convinced an overwhelming majority of American people don't agree on anything. But an overwhelming majority of American people agreed that if their income rose by 10%, they'd be happy about their financial situation. Which implies that an overwhelming majority of Americans are not satisfied with their financial situation. And frankly, I understand When the church stops talking about giving as a response to the overwhelming blessing of God in our lives, the only voice that speaks is the voice of economics. And the defining principle of economics is scarcity. That principle says that economics is all about the decisions people make in determining how scarce resources are to be allocated. But the underlying assumption about that principle is that there is not enough. I don't believe that there has ever been more competition for our limited resources than than there is in our current age. Technology has made it so that the amount of stuff that you need to be normal is way more than it was even 10 years ago. I didn't get a cell phone until I was a junior in high school. Now first graders have cell phones. The computer I used until I was in eighth grade ran MS-DOS, and we had a dot matrix printer. For any kids in the room, a dot matrix printer printed little dots where, you, where it was supposed to, and, and the collection of dots made words and pictures, and you used to have to like tear off the perforated uh, thingies. I don't know if there's a technical term for it. But you could make awesome crafts with the torn-off thingies. Now middle schoolers have their own laptops. Childcare costs are climbing higher and higher. Healthcare costs are climbing higher and higher. We all know what the housing market is like in Northern Virginia. Some of you have student loans. Some of you have children in college. Tuition is soaring. And we haven't even talked about how much we are supposed to be saving. Commercials and articles and mothers-in-law, wait, I didn't say that last part, have us all worried that if we aren't putting away 10% of our money pre-tax and if we aren't maxing out our Roth IRA contributions every year, we are never going to be able to enjoy retirement or retire at all. You add up all of those necessities and that number might be more than you make. And we haven't even talked about all those organizations that send us free address labels and those annoying preachers who won't stop talking about money. Quickly, we arrive at the conclusion that there just isn't enough. There's not enough money. We don't have all the means to do all the things we want to do. And this reality leads to one of two outcomes. We can get hurt upset, bitter, 
discouraged, and depressed. We can feel like we aren't doing enough, we aren't good enough, we aren't sufficient. Or we can see that we don't have enough to do all the things we need to do and begin to go into debt. And it isn't long before our debt begins to consume us because debt is a vicious cycle. Either way, we can't see ourselves as blessed. We might think that if we work really hard, one day in the future, we might be blessed. One day, we might be happy. One day, we might be satisfied. One day, we might have enough. One day, we might be enough. If we just have 10% more, then we'll be happy. But friends, that's not how God wants us to view our lives. That's not how God wants us to view our gifts. It's not how God wants us to think about him. Many of us are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. It's a parable that Jesus told about a father who had two sons, one of whom asked for his inheritance early, the younger one. I'm the older brother in my family and maybe in the story. He asks for his inheritance early. He takes this small fortune and he squanders it. He comes home after squandering his father's money and is welcomed back by his father. Normally, that's the part of the story that we focus on. But there's another son and another part of the story. When the younger son comes home and is welcomed in, the older son is irate. He tells his father that he, the older son, has toiled all these years for his father. He, the older son, has worked himself to the bone, and never, not once, has the older son been given enough to have a party, to celebrate, to have fun. The father is heartbroken at hearing this. He tells his oldest son that everything the father has is the son's, and that the father has given the son everything he needs to be satisfied, to have fun, to have enough, to be enough. The father is heartbroken at the notion that he hasn't given his son enough. I think that God is heartbroken when we look at our lives and feel underblessed. When we look at our lives and we feel like we haven't been given enough. When we feel dissatisfied. Because I think God feels like he has given us everything we need to thrive. God has given us everything we need to prosper. God has given us everything we need to be happy. But we have just lost the ability to see it. How can we recover the ability to see the blessings of God in our life? How can we see that we are already richly blessed by God? How can we see that God continues to give us so many good gifts? That God is a good father? Simply put, by giving. I'm going to let that hang for a second. Now, what I'm going to be talking about from this point further is uh, the principles behind a curriculum called Financial Peace University, which was developed by Dave Ramsey. 
We have that curriculum if you think that this would help you or your family. You can see myself or Mike Finnegan um, if you want to learn more about it or if you want to borrow it. Dave Ramsey has two basic principles that all have as their center our ability to recognize the blessing of God in our life. The first is this, get out of debt. His first principle is to get out of debt as fast as possible. If you have credit card debt, pay it off as fast as you can. If you have multiple credit cards worth of debt, Dave Ramsey says pay the smallest one off first, then the next smallest one, then the next smallest one. Just get the cards paid off. If you have student loan debt, make extra payments, pay down principal, pay off as much of it as, and, as you can and as fast as you can. Get out of debt. And he is so big on getting out of debt because debt makes it impossible to see ourselves as blessed by God. Debt is a constant reminder that we didn't have enough, otherwise we wouldn't have gone into debt and that we don't have enough to get ourselves out of debt. It's this shadow hanging over ourselves, over our lives, that prevents us from seeing God's light shining upon us. We can't feel financially content because there's this huge hole crying out to be filled. Ramsey's second principle is to create a budget that starts with tithing to the church. Tithing is giving 10% off the top. To the church. You start with that, and then you figure out what you can afford from there. Now, this sounds crazy. Beginning with what you're going to give away. I mean, how can you even know if you're able to afford to be able to give money away before you sit down and look at what your expenses are? Which is the way that most of us approach giving. We look at our income, and we look at our expenses, And from what's left over, we determine how much we can afford to give away. Why would Dave Ramsey, supposed financial expert, tell us to start with our tithe and make our budget after that? There are biblical reasons for doing so, and lots of verses telling us to give give of our first fruits, and those are all well and good, being that they're biblical and all. But I think there's another reason. We've already talked about how most Americans think that they don't have enough. Most Americans think that if we had 10% more, we'd be happy with our financial situation. Most of us struggle to meet the rising costs of living. Most of us don't feel secure. But just for a second, just for a minute, let's imagine that we did this. Let's imagine that we did, that we started to create a budget and began with giving 10% off the top straight to the church. What then happens if we are able to do all the things we need to do with the rest of it? What then happens if we can pay our mortgage, put food on our table, buy the things we need, and save a little bit for retirement and rainy days all on 90%? If we can do that on 90% of our income, then we'll never feel like we aren't enough. We'll never feel like we aren't blessed. We'll never feel like God isn't giving us all we need to have life and to have it abundantly. We'll never feel like we aren't enough. 
instead of being a people who constantly believe we need more and more and more, we'll be a people satisfied with what we already have. Instead of being a people who think one day I'll be happy, one day I'll be content, one day I'll have enough, we will be a people that know we already are those things. Because instead of desperately needing more, we'll know that we don't even need all that we already have. That God has given us, showered us with gifts and blessings. Now, going home today and immediately starting to tithe is probably a bit ambitious of an expectation for me to have of you all. It might be a further step than you'd feel comfortable taking after just one sermon. I know what it is for me and my family to work towards giving more and more. It's a journey. But what I hope that you can take from this is that if you have trouble seeing yourself as financially happy, if you struggle with feeling like like you've been given enough, perhaps giving can help show you how blessed you are. Perhaps blessing others through the church can help reveal the ways that God has blessed you. Perhaps contentment and satisfaction come not through getting more, but by generously giving of yourself, your time, your talents, and your treasure. Today we are going to take a moment to say yes to God, to say yes to this church. One of the items on this card um, is the opportunity to pledge, to pledge giving to the church, whether weekly, monthly, or yearly. Why do we pledge? Pledging helps us be intentional about how we want to give. It makes us think through what we want to do. Is this an area of our discipleship that we want to really give some thought to, really be intentional about? Or is this something that's going to be a case-by-case basis? I know in my prayer life, when I think, I need to pray today, but don't prescribe a time. Very often I get to the end of the day and I haven't prayed. But when I start my day and I think, I need to pray today, from noon to one, I'm going to pray. Or from noon to 12.15, I'm going to pray. Or from five to 5.30, I'm going to pray. And I can put it in, in my phone, or I can make a mental note to myself that that is the time I've set aside to pray. More often than not, I pray. More often than not, that little bit of intentionality is what my discipleship needs to make sure that it's not forgotten, to make sure that it's not an afterthought. Same can be true with our giving. So that's why we're asking for you to prayerfully consider not just giving, but pledging. So that the gift you are making to this church can be a part of your discipleship, can be an active part of you following God, following Jesus Christ. And then as you come forward for communion, if you, will, if you want to say yes to this church, not just financially, but in all the other ways that we have uh, put down here, then I will ask you to, to place it in this basket as you come forward. So that that way, your discipleship, 
your commitments, your offerings, can be brought into this sacred moment when we remember the commitment that Christ made to us, when we remember the offering that Christ made to us, when we remember all that Christ did to begin our journey of discipleship and the ways that you are going to further that can be intimately attached to that moment. Let us pray. Almighty and all of God, you are a good Father. You shower us with love. You shower us with blessings. You have given us life. You have given us talents. You have given us abilities. You have loved us. You have given us everything we need to have life and to have it abundantly. The world constantly tells us that we aren't enough. The world constantly tells us that we don't have enough. The world constantly tells us that we aren't blessed. God, be the voice of truth speaking into our lives. Be the voice of truth speaking into our hearts. And open our eyes so that we can see the abundant ways that you give to us. Open our eyes so that we can see how you love us and how much you love us. And God, speak so loudly that the voice of this world can't even be heard above your booming voice, shouting, I love you. I love you. Help us to follow you, God. Help us to follow you more and more in our lives, in our hearts. God, we come now to a time where we want to make We want to say yes to you. We want to make commitments to you. You've given us, you've given us so many ways to encounter you through worship, through prayer, through small groups, through service, and through giving. God, as we, your people, come to commit our lives to commit our actions to you. Give us the strength to make those commitments a reality. Give us the strength and the grace to keep our vows to you. And meet us in those places. Meet us in prayer. Meet us in our small groups. Meet us in worship. Meet us in our giving and meet us in our service. So that as we continue to follow you, as we continue to put our discipleship into practice, that you will be there and our hearts will be more and more transformed by your love and grace. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.